fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fiction of science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, it is great to be here. That is, assuming I am here, um, part of me is really worried that I'm going to wake up um, any moment now. <laughs> would you? Do you want to wake up? I mean, is this, a, is this a better reality, or is real reality, or would you wish you were dreaming? Oh, this is a really good reality, so I'm hoping I'm hoping it's the real one. But there is always that little nervousness of, like, what do I wake up to? <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully you wake up to something very familiar. Uh, and there's someone else who is going to be very familiar to both you and I, Denon, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from, sleeping from, or exploring this week? Well, Dan, this week I've gone back to my usual lab, and I am truly exploring the confluence of the brain and computer interface and i've got some great visuals uh showing what it looks like out here well those are those are incredible visuals i'm, I'm curious what you're going to bring back what data points you're going to bring back because they're going to help us explain today's episode we're going to look at the philip k dick series electric dreams i guess it's not really his series they're just based on his stories uh, but y y you know what I'm talking about. And we're gonna t the one episode we're going to really discuss is called Real Life, where someone puts on a little device onto their head and goes into a very hyper-realistic dream world and then doesn't know which reality is which. This, I think, is a very interesting concept, uh, especially as we talk about dreams and reality. We got VR coming up and all these things that really trick our brain uh, into believing what is real and what isn't. But as we all know, the primal thing that's always tricked our brains into what is real and what isn't are dreams. Now, I imagine you guys have probably had some pretty memorable dreams in your life. Uh, Denon, is there anyone that really sticks out as either shaping who you are or just being pretty cool? Well, you know, Dan, there's a whole bunch of dreams, and, you know, a lot of them are fun and funny. I've, I've often dreamed I was falling and, and then woke up and had fallen out of bed, so that's an interesting connection. <laughs> that's um, not really a dream, though, is it? That's just falling. Well, you know, it, it's weird how the brain turns it into a dream to p protect yeah. itself. Um, yeah. You know, I think the funniest thing right now is I, I, I'm having these recurring regular dreams where I'm going back to get another degree. And like, I already have huh. all the degrees I have, right? And right. I'm not you younger, it's my age. <laughs> I just take like a sabbatical from work because I decide, you know what? Another degree would be good. And ironically, I go back to Princeton where I got my undergraduate degree. And huh. most of the time, you know, it's near the end of the semester and I forgot to show up to class. I can't remember where my dorm is. I don't have my key. <laughs> um, they're really strange nightmares to have. Let me just put it that way. That is very weird. The, what, do you know what's the, the degree that you go after? Is it something crazy? Is it something normal? Is it? No, what, what do you... it, it's very normal. I'm just trying to get that math degree that I never got <laughs> to go with my <laughs> physics degree. So, so, and usually, to be honest, the class I forgot gotten to show up for is history, and I'm really worried about how that history grade is going to affect my new math degree. <laughs> I love the specificity of that. That's, what, that's, that's what's yeah. amazing about it. Uh, what about you, Ben? I mean, did you have any of these uh, anxiety dreams about college, about degrees, about math? I know <laughs> antennas, I know that those are kind of freak you out. Well, it's funny how similar Denon and I's nightmare are. nightmares are. Uh, my, my recurring dream is almost always uh, going back to school for a grad degree of some sort 
it's almost always in my field of study, electrical and computer engineering. Uh, but boy, when I'm awake, do I really not really want to go back to get a master's degree. So it's a, it's, it's interesting that my brain keeps thinking I should, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is funny. What I love about that, what I love about both of you guys is this college theme, right? And so I remember my freshman year of college. This is real life we're talking about here now, right? So in real life, I remember one of the first finals I almost missed was for a class. You know, I was, when you're a freshman, you pick classes that are super early until you get wise and you say, why don't you start your classes at 10, right? So this was an 8 a.m. class. Final was right around then. So this was the first class I was ever late to. I was late to the final by like 45 minutes, right? And it was a math final, which wasn't, you know, as you guys know from the show, it's not exactly my forte, right? Uh, and so that happened in real life. That anxiety from that one time I was late to a final has carried me through a million reoccurring dreams where I walk into a gigantic lecture hall, 400, 500 people, and I'm late and I have to find a seat. Uh, I've got to find a math problem. You know, the pencils keep breaking. That that whole situation, I'm not wearing pants. You know, I don't know why that shows up in these <laughs> dreams as well. Uh, everything you could possibly do is all wrapped up in that one situation. Uh, and, you know, the weird thing is it all feels super real, you know, and that's kind of the oh, weird yeah. things about dreams that we're going to talk about. So let's let's get into this episode, because I think we've laid the groundwork, <laughs> you know, perfectly for what we're going to talk about. So this is the show that takes place way in the future. You know, they've got automated cars, hologram screens. Um, this, so this is the world where uh, a white cop named Sarah takes, on, takes a mental vacation by applying a realistic dream influencer to her temple. And she dreams that she's a black male inventor named George who has created a headpiece that also generates realistic dreams. And that world where George lives is more reminiscent of like 2021, like our time, basically maybe a little further advanced. Uh, but this, you know, I think that this is a really interesting setup because we have a lot of pieces here. And obviously the fundamental question we're going to ask is, you know, Sarah doesn't remember whether she's Sarah or whether she's George. And this is a very interesting question. Um, so let's, let's start, let's, let's get to, we're going to get philosophical stuff later. I want to talk about the device itself. So she puts this little circle on her temple, which, you know, right next to the brain uh, from, you know, I'm, I'm no medical student, but I believe anatomically speaking is pretty close to the brain. Now, how would this work? Ben is our brain expert. I know that you aren't quite working on anything just like this in your professional career, but I'm positive you've got some kind of prototype for this <laughs> lying around your, your, in your office without spoiling anything. How would you how would this work? What's interesting about this is it's not too challenging to put images into the brain. We kind of know how to do this. We don't know how to do it with high resolution. You know, it's certainly not in 8K yet, but we we are able to using magnets and other types of electromagnetic waves uh, make flashes in your visual field through directly through brain stimulation. So it's not a huge leap to then maybe figure out how to make that a picture and not just flashes of light and then maybe take the next step and make it a high res picture or make it seem like a dream. Mm. What's really interesting though and what I'm really curious about is how does a dream compare to what you see? Like we know how we see, you know, signal light comes into our eyeballs, stimulates the the nerves in our retinas, goes through the optic nerve, goes to the brain, the brain interprets that as an image. 
Now, if you were to stimulate those nerves while you're asleep, is that going to maybe wake you up because all of a sudden you're seeing light and it's you see bright lights and now all of a sudden you're awake because you think the sun's shining on you? So I think there's a really interesting thought here of can you – is there something else? Do you have to stimulate what makes us dream? And I don't think we have quite as much knowledge there in terms of how do dreams manifest as images because that's more of our memory, remembering an image rather than a direct stimulation through your eyes. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of the interesting challenge here from a tech point, Dan. I think they made some very clever descriptions at the beginning where they talked about it as being basically stimulating the dream and the device wasn't actually sending you a pre-programmed image, right? Oh, yeah, the yeah, device yeah, right. was leveraging right. who you were to just have you dream what was appropriate to you. So to, to Ben's point, it didn't need to do this high-res imaging. It let your brain do the imaging, but it had to sort of open up that dream state. And I think to Ben's point, we don't know the details, but we know the beginning of it. Like we know when you dream and when you don't, that there's different cycles. So like I think the crudest version of this device puts you in a dream cycle and hopes you dream, <laughs> right? Um, right? But clearly they want to go the next step and, and ensure that your dream is coherent. Um, because, you know, as, as we said, you know, you randomly show up to class without pants, Dan. That probably right. wouldn't happen, right, in a coherent probably. dream. Probably. You right. know. Um, and there's also the interesting feature that I don't know about you all, but I do tend to always dream myself as myself. Um, and she is clearly dreaming herself as a radically different person. Yes. And we don't know if it's the device doing that or if it's a subconscious desire on her part to be radically different. So there's some interesting things there about what is the tech really doing. Um, so I, I like that feature that it's probably creating a space for dreams and not having to do what many of the, the science fiction shows we talk about and many of the tech talks about, which is manipulate the brain directly. I don't think this is manipulating. I think this is creating space for stuff to happen. I think that's brilliant. I mean, it's I didn't think about that, but it's really offloading the the dream processing power, the dream creation power onto your brain, which is a perfect device for creating dreams. You know, I didn't think about that, but that, that makes perfect sense. And there's a couple of interesting things that Katie, so that's Sarah's wife, Katie says when she's giving her the device uh, and she explains what's called the dream vacation, you know, there's already kind of warning signs in her description, but, you know, she says it will be a dream, but it will be like another life. You will accept this other world and their rules as reality, just as firmly as you accept this reality. Um, you will be someone else. So that answers your question, Denon. And then she says, you know, it's created by your own subconscious. And as we know, who, who knows us better than our own subconscious? Our subconscious knows more about us than we know about us. I think by definition, right? So this, this creates a very interesting world that in some ways is like our upload episode where you're put into this immersive world, but which is generated externally by some computer programmer, right? But in this, you are the computer programmer. You're creating this thing. And I think in some ways you know, this makes it the perfect way to really get lost in that fantasy, which is kind of scary. Um, but it made me, I, I want to ponder a question. You know, I've mentioned the Ricky Gervais show. I love this show a lot. So I'm stealing a question from them. But I thought it was a really interesting question. And I want to get your guys take on it. If you could go into a simulation, 
where you had the perfect world, right? So we would take you guys, we'd stick you in like a, you know, sempre, you know, sensory deprivation tank or a coffin, who cares where you are, right? And we would just knock you out, put one of these things on your head, and you would live the perfect life, right? Exactly what you wanted. Or would you want to do that? Or would you want to live in this life? Because that's kind of the question that's being presented to Sarah in this episode. I'm curious what you think. Ben, I'm going to go with you first. As someone who likes to manipulate reality with your devices, what would you want to do in this situation? You know, Dan, that's a tough question. I think for me, I like the idea of knowing what I'm doing is real. And I'm not too disappointed with the way my life is going. You know, I'm on a cool podcast slash YouTube show. I've got an, a decent job at the intersection of mind and technologies. And so, you know, I think I'm okay where I am and don't need this uh, fantasy dream world for myself. You know, I, I was actually going a different way than Ben a little bit here, Dan, and which is, you know, uh, ben, ben made the comment about, I think, wanting to make sure he has a real life. I, I believe I heard you mm -hmm. right. Um, I, I could care, I don't know, I, I have less um, concern about life being real. I do want to make sure it's me. I also think there's a very, very um, poor definition in that question, Dan, and I, since you stole it, I can criticize it. Um, I, I <laughs> think ahead. people fail to understand what a perfect world is, right? They create a false choice by saying, choose a perfect world from this world. Um, I, I would argue there is only living. There is no such thing as perfect living. And it's how you respond to the situation you're in that's most relevant. Now, there can be things that are very bad. I do believe there is tragedy. So if you asked me, would you rather live in a world where you experienced a lot of tragedy or this world? I'm picking this world because I'm, I'm with Ben. My life is pretty good. But by definition, you know, the way people often describe perfect um, there's a lot of boredom there, which, you know, is borderline not good. So, like, you, you end up in this weird spiral where perfect is not perfect. So, but I have to admit, I've always had this weird thing where reality is less of a concern for me. I don't know what that says about me, Dan, but I'll go watch some fire and let you know later. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it's interesting because you say, you know, perfect, right? You know, you can say the same thing about California, right? We live in Los Angeles. It's sunny all the time. Uh, I'm super bored of it. We could really use some rain, you know? I mean, so I'm with you on that part because I don't think this is perfect, but it may be what, you know, what someone would draw as a perfect situation. But what about, it's not so much perfect, it's perfect for you. I mean, that's really the question that's being given in this particular episode. And as we see, Sarah puts that thing on her on her head and she gets the life that's her vacation. That's a pretty intense vacation. She's, you know, she's an inventor who's also doubling as like an undercover quasi superhero. Um, it's super intense. <laughs> There's a lot of gunfire. You know, it's crazy. But for her, that's perfect, right? Perfect doesn't mean boring. As a matter of fact, for you, Denon, it wouldn't be boring because that is not what's perfect for you. It's tailor made, Denon. Well, there's an interesting question there of perfect tailor-made and choice, because that's what I love about this movie as we move into the more philosophical side, which is why does she prove, why does she pick the world where she's suffering more than the world where she's suffering less? And why does she assume, what I love about this twist is, you know, her real life is actually pretty darn good. So why does she assume that makes it the fake one? Right, too like, good, Why as a matter is she of fact. not willing yeah. to accept that gift? Um, yeah. So it's, it's really interesting, you know, perfect, even perfect for you, I would argue, is a slippery, ill-defined phrase. Hmm. I mean, maybe so, but I mean, it, you know, it begs the question in this particular episode, what I like about that is, you know, 
psychologically what's going on here because I think that's what's important. And, and you know, that's our new ex- that's our new expertise here, right? <laughs> we're, we're tackling psychology next. But I like this because you know, in a phrase, how does how would she make her mind? believe that this dream vacation, this fabricated vacation, even if it's generated by her own mind, how would she believe that this is actually true? And, you know, it, that seems ridiculous, but we do this all the time when we dream. You know, there there is something called dream logic where weird stuff happens in your dream, but because you kind of are in it, you know, you're immersed in it completely, you kind of buy into it. You know, this happens all the time. Uh, you know, so, but I still have to, have to ask the question. Once you wake up, you forget that dream logic. I know I'm not wearing I'm not not wearing pants in a in a uh, you know in a college room missing my final uh, with my pencils that are constantly breaking. I wake up, I know that's not true, right? And this, she has a problem deciphering and discer- discerning that difference. So, uh, what do you think, Ben? I'm going to ask you first as as our brain guy. What do you think it really re- requires to once someone is awake to still believe that what they dreamed is real and have that confusion? Well, I, I think part of it is having a dream. I mean, this doesn't really jive with the show, unfortunately, but I think part of it is having a dream that is at least, you know, believable, right? So I talked about mm-hmm. going back to college as a grad school. You know, I've thought about that. You know, maybe I would go. I probably wouldn't go back to my alma mater in St. Louis as much as I liked that school. I'd probably stay in LA and go to a Los Angeles school. Um, but another dream I have is where I'm back at my old job building rockets. And, you know, when I wake up from that dream, you know, there's probably a minute or two uh, right after I wake up where I'm like, wait, did I go back to my old job? Uh, (laughs) And and I think this is just... Am I there now? (laughs) It's never the am I there now, but there is that brief moment of thinking, is this believable dream real? And I think there's, I think that's a powerful feeling that, you know... If you could manipulate it with this, you know, dream machine, you could really um, make somebody uh, believe a dream is the reality without too much effort, I think. Yeah. And and it really, I think part of it is the emotional level, too, Dan. Mm-hmm. I mean, something that I, I very vividly remember, which is weird, is a, a moment in grad school, you know, um, where I had something absolutely horrifying and terrifying happen to me in my dream. And I was screaming bloody murder. And even as I woke up, I was still kind of like strangely unaware of what the dream was, but very aware that I was scared out of my mind and screaming. Right. And right. I had to yeah. sit there for a while and try to figure out. And then the really funny thing is I asked my roommates the next day, did, did I actually scream out loud because I wasn't sure? And they're like, yeah, and that was such a bad scream. You were either dead or it was hopefully a dream. So we just hid. We didn't come get you. You know, and I'm like, yeah. well, thanks, guys. You know, yeah. it made me feel better. But it, it's there is a reality there that when you first wake up, there's certain dreams that you're confused by. Um, and this is what's really interesting of the technology in the show, Dan, and a question I had. She actually manages to go into the dream world when she's knocked out and she's not wearing the device. Right. Which means it's had an impact on her brain. These pathways have been open and made her even more susceptible. So I think this is a lot like hypnotism, right? Interesting. Where you haven't okay. necessarily been fully taken out of it. Because why else would she go into the dream world without the device just for being unconscious? Yeah. I think that's an interest, a really interesting question. Ben, do you have anything to that? I mean, well, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like if you have an induced dream by this device, it would make sense that um, out, without the device, your brain would try to recreate the same storyline uh, 
in a in a normal unaided dream, I think that's just kind of how our brains would work. I mean, we have recurring dreams that are based on reality. And if you have this dream world that you believe is reality, it makes perfect sense that your brain would recreate that uh, unaided. One of the things that I, I did find kind of... I mean, the biggest hurdle, I think, in this is the obvious, right? Like, she is a white female cop who, in her dream, is a black male inventor, right? Um, so she, she's gay in, in real life, um, but, the, but George, the, the male, is straight. So, the ult- I mean, it's not the same sexual orientation, but it's the same outcome, I guess. I, I don't know if that's politically correct, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the way it works. So, in some ways, that is the, the, um, the common foundation, that she can that she can land on, but everything else is completely different. Really, um, you know the, the the job, the race, the 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 gender. It's all different, and and I wonder if this speaks to you know um, how she maybe how she feels inside. You know, is this the subconscious working like that? Is that how it's manifesting itself? And maybe that provides some level of reality. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm probably talking out of my butt here, but that's the only thing I can think of where something so different would feel so real that in the end you would believe that that is reality when in fact it is not. I don't know. Is there anything to this, Denon? You know, I don't really know um, the creation part, but I think the show does a great job of talking about it in interesting ways. So she uses this and understanding, let's face it, you know, she was not way off. A lot of science fiction of the 60s through to now, right, are male fantasies about being uh, uh, you know, futuristic lesbian super cop. I hated that line, Denon, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but but, it, but yeah. p- pick up any, you know, fantasy book from the 70s or 80s and look at the cover, Dan, and that line is Fair probably enough. accurate. Fair right? enough. Okay, all right. So, so, so she's using something to convince herself that she's the dream, which is an ironic twist on the process there. Um, at the same time, you know, her her... her I don't know if they're married in the future, but her wife or girlfriend makes the comment, well, of course you would end up liking women no matter what your dream was. Right. So you were right on, I think, track with that being the, the common element, the, the sort of the intent there in the show. And so it's really interesting how that part of her subconscious is, is, is driving her to think that maybe the dream is real. You know, and so much of where the dream came from is clearly all coming out of her extreme guilt. I mean, that's established Mm -hmm. very early in the show that she is feeling very guilty about this one event and it's driving everything. So I'm not sure why that would lead to a particular person in the past. I don't know if there's any sort of historical character like that that maybe she had read about that she's referring. But the subconscious definitely does some interesting things in that regard. Going back a little bit, I, I really liked how the inventor's wife is dead and is fun- fundamentally the same person as Sarah's right. wife. And so I right. think yeah. it, it's more than that. I think the dream machine is using elements of Sarah's real life and marrying them with its probably somewhat pre-programmed story to create a world that seems very believable by pulling elements from the real life. I mean, it makes sense because one of the other things that is an, as another hurdle, although a little bit smaller, is that she there's a bunch of backstories that are created. There's new characters, right? I mean, the doctor, um, the inventor, George's doctor, who you know fixes him up, they have a relationship 
in the dream. That's like a backstory. And the weirdest part about all of this. So we're going to fast forward to the fallout. So she picks, you know, spoiler alert. She ends up picking the fantasy where she is George, where she does have a relationship with this doctor. But what I find so interesting about this is that the doctor, which is a total figment of her imagination, it is a created character. It's not based in anyone. It's not based in anyone in her reality that we see. That character is convincing her that that the dream is the reality, which this was so strange to me that if you look at the the things that we've laid out and the you know the 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 concepts and the the narrative that the story is creating for you, the, the dream has created a reality that is now trying to trap her permanently in the dream. Uh, this was this was kind of the strangest part for me, but I'm curious what you guys thought about that. Then, what do you think? Well, you know, it was really interesting. Dan. This is where I wish I may have taken a psychology class in my life somewhere and understood psychology better. Or go to a, uh, go back to school, get a master's degree. Maybe maybe Princeton's for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but what I what I thought was fascinating, and I've seen this a lot. Like we as humans um, really do have a tendency to fixate on the bad and the bad things that happen to us. We're not good at accepting the good in many regards, right? Mm, right. You know, we'll, we'll say things like, we always end up in the slowest line in the grocery store, when I bet you, if you actually studied it, you're not always in the slowest line in the grocery <laughs> store, right? Or I never get a good part. Like, we remember the bad, right? right? It's enough. what yeah, we're yeah. trained to do, yeah. right? If you think about it, how often are you motivated to go online and write a good review versus a bad review, right? The bad events are what drive us. It's a really interesting phenomena. And I think they did a great job of her real life going well in actually a fairly realistic way. Sometimes the cops do catch the bad guys, particularly if you're smart enough to call for backup, right? Like in every cop show, the only reason it goes bad is you're like these gung-ho people who never call for backup. Her partner immediately calls for backup. So of course it goes well because they did the right stuff. But her brain is using everything going well as the final evidence that that's got to be the dream life. And I think that was, to me, this very telling human moment of what we do to ourselves, unfortunately, and and the way we focus on the bad, focus on the guilt, when most of us, not all of us, but most of us have plenty of good in our life, too, if we look for it. So that was kind of, to me, a a really interesting twist in the show, Um, particularly the fact that they actually called for backup. I love that. (laughs) I feel like I should cut to like, the more you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to think about because in a lot of ways there are, there are a lot of similar, there's overlap, right? Like they go to the same restaurant, you know, they're in the same factory where the, you know, the other person, uh, where they catch the bad guy or whatever. So the scenarios are the same, but one is worse than the other. And, and that is really interesting. Um, and, and what I like about the dream world. So one of my favorite movies of all time is return to Oz. Okay. It's the sequel to the wizard of Oz. It is a fantastic movie. If I can convince you guys to do it, maybe we'll do it for this episode. Although I don't know what the science and technology is, but what's great about it is while, you know, while Dorothy is in the real world, she then goes to Oz. But in Oz, this is kind of similar to The Wizard of Oz, all the characters are kind of in the same story that her brain is creating for her in this world, but it's very different. It's very bad. You know, her, her real life is bad, and then that life is even worse. And there's this, this kind of this interesting twist where we, we take real elements in our real life, and we do incorporate them into the dream world. And it is kind of interesting, you know, that phenomenon that you talked about does make a lot of sense, but those connections to real things are what make 
make it so real. And then I have to ask, you know, at the end, we see her, you know, sucked into this other dream world. What does that mean, right? Like, what does that mean on a real physiological level? I mean, is someone lost in their fantasies? Like, in the real world, are they just comatose? And are they living in this other world? I'm curious how that would work. None of us have the answer, but why not speculate? That's a lot of fun. Ben, what, what do you think's going on there? I think what's interesting here is that the this real world is, and, and the dream world are just so, they're both so different, but for some reason, this dream world is so compelling. And what what I also wonder about is who who made this like dream machine, and why why did they make it so compelling? Why did they make it so that the dream tries to trick you into staying in the dream world? Like, is that a right. is that a function of the device, or is that like, or is your brain like doing that to you, and this device is just kind of facilitating it, and the brain just kind of, if you kind of have a damaged psyche your brain with this device kind of fools you into wanting to stay in the dream world because you don't like your real life for some reason. That's that's what I really wonder about. Yeah, and I do think there's, again, this is where I would love to have had my better understanding of psychology, Dan. You know, I think there's a close analogy to many of the the, the true psychological conditions where people have real hallucinations and, and just waking life, right? Because right. There's things that you experience as real that your brain says is real that the rest of us say are not real. Now, who's to say which is real and which isn't, right? But there's more of us, so we declare that person as hallucinating, right? Yeah, which is an interesting feature. Now, they're awake while they're doing that. Mm -hmm. And to your question, I think they make the comment that her neural pathways have been reworked and locked in. It, It does raise an interesting question of if you rewired the brain, would you reach a state where you don't wake up you know right um, could you make it so a person just sleeps permanently which is effectively what they had here and you know obviously there's a lot of chemistry between waking and falling asleep um you do have sleeping pills you do have people who end up in equipment of a coma which is like being asleep right so is it is it this self-induced coma dam that's kind of the direction i would be going with this um and what you don't know is what's continuing in that world as she actually lives out that that dream state and you know because it's a a a device that makes the brain do its own work Mm -hmm. i suspect that's why they couldn't bring her out they they developed one technology before figuring out the relevant technology, which is how to wake people up. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, they do. It was a prototype, but <laughs> I think that yeah. they, they should work that bug out first. <laughs> I mean, you know, what do I know? Well, I also think Dan, it's a lot like what we experience. You know, there are a lot of sort of drugs and other chemicals out there that, depending on your starting state, affect you very differently from an addictive point of view or how you use them. Right. Um, and there, look, we know it's a real thing. There are alcoholics and non-alcoholics, right? And and you, the way alcohol, you know, impacts you and how you use it is very different. Right. And I think the other thing is they took a prototype and used it on a highly depressed, very guilt-ridden person, um, which was probably part of the reason they got the negative outcome. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to see the other subjects of this uh, prototyping experiment to see if, you know, is it common that Uh, people end up in this kind of locked in state where you get stuck in your dream or do, you know, happy people just, you know, go to Bermuda and have a fun time on the beach uh, and then they're done. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a good question. I mean, it's a good question. Um, you know, and it, it's it, we need an answer, but you know, uh, we've given several answers that are probably pretty close to the truth. I think I think we're pretty close on this one. Um, but you know, if there's anything we didn't talk about, I mean, this is the place we got to do it. This is our errors, additions, and omissions section. Things we wanted to talk about but we didn't quite get to. Denon, was there anything that we missed about uh, real life from elect Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams? Well, there is a couple of things. One is early on, right? They, sh- they, the, the phrase "real life" shows up, and it's her going. And I assumed it was us telling, telling us that that was the real life. I now realize, as you say it, that was probably just the title of the episode showing up. Um, but, but, but for the whole episode, I'm sitting there going, "Well, they told me that's the real life. Was this one of those shows just tricking me? So that means <laughs> right. the other one is the real life." <laughs> right, but yeah, it yeah. being the title makes a lot more sense. Um, so my, my, you know, unobservant behavior aside. I, I don't know. I just was fascinated by the the interaction between French fries and fingers in this in this TV show, <laughs> um, and the back and forth. But I also thought it was intriguing. They they messed with time in many ways, mm-hmm. right? They 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 use things. So her dream world, she dreams being in the warehouse, but she doesn't experience that till later. And I really wonder how that would work from a dream world perspective. Right. Obviously, it had to have been a place she was at before. Um, and maybe it was coincidence, but that was interesting. Um, and the order at which she ends up in the restaurant in the dream world, it's later. Um, so there was just some fascinating things there, all, uh, many of them around French fries and fingers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you didn't even go the quantum worlds thing. Maybe it's a little quantum mini black hole she sticks on her forehead or temple or whatever. Uh, what about you, Ben? Is there anything that this, from the show that we missed that you wanted to talk about? It's not from the show specifically, but I really enjoy how well this show kind of Uh, demonstrates Philip K. Dick's ambiguity in his storytelling. You know, to some degree, we don't really know which one's real life and which one's fancy. I mean, they they say it, but for someone like me who was watching it, I was definitely confused a little bit about which which was the real and which was not. And for a moment, I thought it was like some brain swap thing where they were both real and they were like switching lives through this device. Mm. Um, So I, I like that you know, there's a lot of ways to interpret it. And you see that a lot in his other stories, like um, the the story for Total Recall, which is Remember It For You, Inc. You don't actually know if any of what happened actually happened. Did he actually go to Mars or was it all in his head? You know, it, it's kind of a mm-hmm. fun exploration of what is memory, what is mind. And, you know, he's a great storyteller. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. For sure. Um, and I agree with all that stuff. It's, it's kind of a mind mind screw. Uh, the, the thing that, you know, two things, I have two things from this. Number one, uh, Denon already mentioned it, you know, when she says ancient male fantasy, what they used to call science fiction. I, I, I rolled my eyes so hard at that one. That was so ridiculous. But maybe you're right, Denon. Maybe I'm the one who doesn't know what I'm talking about here. Uh, the second thing is, you know, I mentioned in a previous episode about um, a comic book called Superman Annual Eleven. Now, one of our great fans, uh, I'm going to call her Holly C., she sent me, she found a copy of this comic book and sent it to me. Uh, So thank you very much for that. And it's apropos because the storyline for that comic book almost in some ways parallels this episode. It's really interesting. Very quickly, I'll run it through. It's a great story by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, who are the creative force behind The Watchmen. And basically, Superman gets this plant fungus gift from, from one of his enemies named Mogul. And when it, it's called the Black Mercy. When it lands on him, it's this big tentacled thing. What it does is 
it, it sends the wearer into a perfect fantasy where they are content, which essentially eliminates them. And I think other than Kryptonite, I think this particular comic book, The Black Mercy, eliminated Superman in the most interesting way possible. You know, and it's it's just like this. It's a realistic dream. Um, you know, they have to kind of pull themselves out of it, even if they know it's a dream. It's very difficult. I loved it. It perfectly paralleled this episode. Um, a great book. Thanks again, Holly, for that great comic book. Um, but, you know, we've got a question from our audience. Here it is. This is the place for it. Um, so here we go. You guys ready to answer a question from our audience? Yep. Definitely. All right, here we go. So this one is from uh, My Curly Locks. It says, hey, Brain Trust. My Curly Locks here. I absolutely love your podcast, and so I'm writing about your episode on Monsters, Inc. Uh, there's something I have never understood that might either stump the Brain Trust or potentially solve questions I have, al- I, I have always had when I watched this movie. Why doesn't Monsters, Inc. use monster baby screams instead of going through the work and hassle of getting human kid screams? Or why don't they record human kid screams and play them back to satisfy the screamometer? I, I, I can honestly, uh, and honestly, how can you tell the difference between a monster scream and a human scream? With today's technology, I'm pretty sure you can manipulate the sounds to be just what you need. It seems like a lot of work when there just might be a simple workaround. Thanks for the great podcast, MCL. I mean, these are great questions. Uh, I've, I've pondered them myself. I think you, I made some notes. We didn't get into it in the episode. This is a great opportunity to talk about it. So let Monsters, Inc., Monster Screams, Human Screams, you know, Denon, what's the difference between them? Um, you know, we're not even talking humans, for, you know, uh, humans versus monsters. I think that's a critical p- point here. So what do you got, Denon? Well, I really think it comes down to the exact detail of the frequencies, pitch, and the, the genuineness of the fear in the scream and the timber that provides. And so the monsters versus the humans, I'm fine with because um, the, the sound as we talked about it and how you capture it and the impedance matches and all of that, very sensitive, very critical. Um, and, and they're just, they're different in the way they produce sounds. And I would suspect monster kids don't get nearly as scared as human kids. Just, That's you know, point, yeah. a biological fact. Right. Um, I do love the issue of recording. Um, I would argue, let's face it, right? I mean, people to this day are arguing over how good is our fidelity of recording. And it's obviously getting better and better Mm -hmm. with more and more digital. But we don't know that the monsters have our technology. It's one thing to say with today's technology, it's easy. Not so clear with monster technology. Um, But also there there is always some loss of fidelity. And if you don't know exactly what the element is in the screen that's doing it, um, you, I can see where you wouldn't be able to use recordings. Um, I don't know, Ben, you're on that recording side. Um, you're the electrical engineer. So I think that really is your expertise. You might overrule me here. Well, no, I, I'm, I actually think it's a more fundamental problem. Uh, it's a, a simple conservation of energy situation to play the scream will would require just as much, if not more energy than what you would extract through the scream canisters uh you you can't recreate it without spending more energy so uh perpetual energy perpetual motion machines don't exist so therefore you have to get the scream from the source the real child <laughs> a, a much better answer ben that, spoken like a true engineer i love it i it's very true uh you know i mean i also think there's probably you know monster rights issues in the monster world where they don't want to stick all their kids in a factory and make them scream all the time there's, there's got to be issues they got to have laws against that but there are no laws against torturing humans uh, i'm guessing that there's there's some sociopolitical issue going on here as well uh, but you know to answer your question Mike Curley, 
Goldilocks. It seems like they're, yeah, they're interchangeable. Monsters and children, monsters and children, humans, probably interchangeable. Um, you know, that's why we call little kids monsters sometimes. I know I definitely do. Um, but, you know, if we've missed anything, if you want to get in touch with us and let us know about it, you know, it, it's easy to do. You can find the show on social media. We're on Twitter at FGGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGGBT. And you can send us an email. We're right on top of that technological bubble. We got email now. Questions at FGGGBT.com. But if you want to get in touch with us individually, it's easy to do. Denon, where can people find you? Well, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Just flip my name. It's at Denon Michael. Uh, Facebook's a little trickier. You got to stick in a prof at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you're subscribed and, of course, rate and review. If you're watching us on YouTube and you enjoyed this video, hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that could be misused by people hell-bent on world domination. So be careful with this. Remember, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a youtube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash daniel j glenn and once again if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening